In recent years, I have become quite obsessed with breath and how our breath is really connected to basically everything we do. Now, from personal experience, I found connection to breath really crucial in my training, whether that's running or lifting weights, but also in my moments of stress where I need to calm my mind and focus. My guest today is someone whose career has spanned a range of incredible experiences from being a British and Commonwealth rhythmic gymnastic champion, working as a dancer with the likes of Ricky Martin and the Backstreet Boys, which is so cool, (laughs) to choreographing high profile shows such as the London Olympics. Her knowledge of the dance and fashion industry led her to start her own business with her two agencies, AMCK Dance in 2005 and AMCK Models in 2008, under the umbrella of AMCK Management. The dance division supplies dancers to the very best music artists worldwide, including Pharrell, Beyonce, Madonna, Dua Lipa and Rihanna. But I met Aisha through her incredible breath work and through her guided sessions on Instagram, she's helped me find some stillness through the crazy year that we've all just had. And so today I've got her here to talk about strength through stillness and connection to breath and how we can all breathe better to be better. Aisha, how are you? I'm good, Alice. Thank you. And I love that. Breathe better to be better. I'm going to steal that. Thank you very much, Alice, my new marketing woman. (laughs) I love it. I mean, that's how we really connected. But one of the things that I really love about you is that you have such a range of experiences in your life. You have done so much. When I was reading, I mean, you've got a very lovely Wikipedia page that I was looking up before this. And it's basically like, everything and anything you can think of, you've done it. And I just wanted to start, I guess, I always like taking people back to the beginning because I didn't know this about you. And I think it's fascinating that you were a British and Commonwealth rhythmic gymnastic champion. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, gymnastics is one of my favorite sports to watch. And I actually growing up really wanted to be a gymnast. So yeah, that was one of my childhood dreams. But I think that's probably shaped a lot of maybe what you do now. And I'd love to hear about how that really was the start of you maybe working in a competitive space and really being a a strong woman, I guess. So I wanted to know initially just how you got into that. It's such a demanding sport. What was the route in and and how did you find that experience? Yeah, absolutely. I was a young girl. I started gymnastics at seven and had that curiosity of just wanting to try loads of different things. So I was doing ballet and I went to tap and I tried out swimming for a bit. That wasn't my thing. I didn't like getting my face wet. Went to trampolining and the trampolining session wasn't on that day and they had gymnastics in the big sports hall instead. And so I walked into this sports hall and I saw the beam and the bars and these girls flipping and doing this stuff. I was like, this is it. This is what I want to try. I tried out artistic gymnastics for an hour and they were like, okay, you're really gangly and flexible. Why don't you go to the other end of the hall and try the rhythmic And that was that. I went over, tried it, picked up a ribbon and and really did just fall in love with the sport. And so for me, it was just like, I'm just dancing with this beautiful apparatus in my hands. And just straight from that point was like, it's a, it's a way of expression. And with gymnastics, the thing is, it's only a hobby for a very short amount of time, because as you said, it is so physically demanding, mentally demanding, and takes up so much time with training that your dedication to the sport is everything. Where you will arrive to in the success that you have will be down to how much you can dedicate your life to it. And so by nine, I was in the junior British 
gymnastics team. And by the age of 10, I was already training on training camps and traveling and competing. And then I won the junior British championships. I believe I was around 13. And so that really cemented like, okay, this is what we're doing. And I was training before school, after school, and it became my total life. And, and you know, growing up as a sportswoman, it gives you a discipline and also a self-belief, which I have carried with me really, I guess, throughout my life. When I look back now, I can clearly see this distinct understanding of knowing my body connecting in with my breath right then at that time and using those tools to go out and compete and ultimately win. Yeah. And and the thing is as well, like it is a sport that's also incredibly whitewashed. It's a tough environment to be in. And I'd love to hear just how you found, I guess, sort of the the experience for yourself, really having to work against a, a lot of barriers that I guess some other athletes just didn't have to overcome. Yeah, I was the only black British champion on the circuit. When I traveled around the world, there was nobody else that looked like me. I was definitely subject to racism. And yet I I didn't really see what was happening. My mom used to say, you just have to work harder. You have to just be the best. And I never really understood in what context that was. But I remember her reading this article on me that the Voice newspaper had written and was celebrating my achievement as the first black British gymnastics champion. And I didn't understand the significance. And I just remember seeing my mum like with tears of joy Mm. in her eyes and this humongous sense of pride. And yes, I was creative and I was breaking molds and I was using different music and I was studying Alvin Ailey and going to jazz classes at pineapple studios to incorporate into my routines I was doing things totally differently and Mm. in my way the layers upon that were difficult we were traveling to Russia and Bulgaria and there were people who had just never seen anybody who was black or brown never up close. And so then the stares and the wanting to touch your skin and your hair and and then the questions about your hair and why it wouldn't go in a bun and all of the stuff that I don't eat. I don't like, I, I kind of suppress that part of um, my experience, but it was really real. It was really real. Last year, there was a lot of discussion about British gymnastics, abuse in the system, following on from what had been revealed about the American Gymnastics Association and the horrendous cases that happened with abuse over there. And it was one of the first times that I spoken and dissected with my coach and my other teammate, another black girl, She was younger than me and she was telling me that when I finished gymnastics, she felt totally abandoned because like I was her big sister. And when I finished, I wanted to just get out of the sport, quite frankly, Mm. and kind of left and didn't look back. And, And now I look back and I'm like, yeah, and I left her in there with 
with not really enough explanation and definitely not enough support. And if I if I could go back and change something, I would definitely want to hold the space for her. Yeah. But my coach was incredible. And she taught me how to connect to my positive visualization and work with the understanding of if I can champion myself, if I can celebrate myself, if I can believe in myself, then I can do anything. And it was totally against the way of how coaching was or how gymnasts were treated. Operating from a place of fear is something that I can kind of understand in in the sense that Mm. I remember my own dance training. I had like this fearsome French dance teacher and I wanted to be good to impress her. And it was the the motivation was all wrong because it was all about external validation and doing something for someone else rather than allowing the motivation to come from within myself to be better for me. And I can just see how your experience clearly sounds like taught you, you are good and within yourself, you can find the motivation to be better. And you didn't need a coach to kind of, as you said, beat you down into a place of being terrified and competing because you were so scared to make a mistake. And yeah. I've, you know, I've watched a lot of the documentaries around the treatment of gymnastics. I watched the one about the American cases yeah. that we referenced earlier. And it just seems as though it was a repetitive cycle of girls who were just terrified to breathe even. Like it just seemed as though like life was so controlled and so about winning that like yeah. all other experiences and all other enjoyment of the sport was lost. Yeah, you forgot totally the enjoyment of it. It was based on achieving perfection. And that's why the eating disorders were so prevalent because it was this chasing of being perfect. Mm. And again, outside external validation of what that perfection meant. We used to, when we used to train in Russia, we would come down in the morning and be weighed and then do a two-hour ballet class and be weighed again after ballet. And if you had not dropped any weight, you hadn't worked hard enough in the ballet class, then you used to train. And if you were messing up, somehow it was connected with your weight and there was scales at the side of the mat and you were asked to get onto the scale. So you could be weighed five or six times in a day. And then you would go down into the sauna with your sweatsuit on and your clothing on and then go into the sauna and see if you could drop any more weight in water before going to bed and starting the cycle again. Now, the way that my body was, I I was naturally very thin and strong. My muscles were long and lean and that my body afforded me less abuse than my girlfriends, than my training partners. And, uh, you know, I I have friends who I grew up with, who I trained with, who are still suffering the scars of that time now. Yeah, I think sport in general has a lot to answer for. And one of the things that I'm really proud of seeing is the work that people like Anna Kessel at The Telegraph are doing to really champion women's voices in sport because I think for such a long time they haven't had voices and they haven't been able to have autonomy over their bodies you know if we just look at how many women who are athletes that regularly go without periods and it's a very normal part of their training 
And it shocks me that that even in the 21st century, in 2021, that that is still happening and that nobody is is really calling it out for what it is, which is incredibly damaging and dangerous to women's bodies. And it was almost like, it just feels like we, we are so far from what healthy is within sports and we bring body image as as the pinnacle of success rather than talent and personality and, and just women's autonomy over their bodies exactly you transitioned into obviously the world of dance and choreography which you've been so successful in in that world and I knew your name when I was at college <laughs> in terms of how much you've achieved and really paved the way for people within that industry too but what was that transition like how did you work your way into dance and modeling and, and choreography and really did it did it feel like a completely different world and how did you adjust to that I wanted to be a soloist in Alvin Ailey that was <laughs> my first dream. I was like, I'm going to go to New York and study and become a soloist, Alvin Ailey, and that's where my path is going to go. So before I tell you that part, I must talk about the fact that I didn't go to the Olympics because that was really the catalyst. So I was training, as I said, the sport became not a hobby and it was like your job and what you're doing. Mm. And I was training then all my life to go to the Olympics and I didn't qualify by four places. Mm. And so my Olympic dreams were just totally shattered. And that was kind of like, I have to leave this sport. And in tandem, I was thinking I'm going to go to the Olympics, which would have been in Atlanta. And I will then straight after that in the September start at Juilliard. So I had auditioned for Juilliard, which is a um, university in New York. And I got a place, but they stopped doing the foreign scholarships that year. So I couldn't then go to Juilliard. And my mom was absolutely adamant that I went into some kind of further education. So I just had to pick a random dance college in the UK, which I did and went there and I only lasted one term and then, and then I left and I just decided to work and, and work it out along the way. I'd started doing some auditions for commercial dance scene in the UK and started getting jobs. And that was like, oh, okay, I won't do the Juilliard thing. I won't do the Alvin Ailey thing. I'm going to be a commercial dancer. This is a whole new world that I didn't know anything about. I'm going to be a backing dancer behind these bands. This is so cool. (laughs) At the time, I wasn't the best and the funkiest dancer, but I had my other skills. So I was like, okay, I'd go into an audition and then they'd go freestyle and I'd be like doing walkovers or I'd carry my ribbon with me and kick my legs around and throw the Mm -hmm. ribbon about and I'd book the job. So I was like, (laughs) okay, this is my way in. I'm just going to do the gymnastics thing and throw that about and get onto these jobs and learn. And that's what I did. And I got the chance to work with the most incredible choreographers, international bands, all the pop bands of the time. You know, we used to be on Top of the Pops and CD UK for anyone who remembers all of that. And it was an absolutely great time, again, of me kind of using what I knew that I had inside and using my uniqueness to to help me pave my way. And I knew that I, I wanted to be a voice. I always seemed to be a voice when we were on jobs. Like if something wasn't quite right, I was the one who was sent off to go and speak to the client or say something to the choreographer. And so by the time I 
opened the agency was like, I would like to have a place and a space for people to be nurtured and seen and heard and a space for them to grow into this career. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Was it that you felt something was really missing in your career? Because I think it's such a big step to open your own agency. And I love the way you described representing talent. I've had good and bad experiences with management. Mm -hmm. And I think some can be great and some can actually be really quite harmful in terms of your progression of your career. But I guess for you, did you feel there was a gap that you wanted to fill or something that wasn't quite catered to? And what would you say that was? I felt that it wasn't that I knew better, but I felt that I hadn't really had the support. I had just kind of muscled my way into those situations, you know, been very strong and convincing. But I wanted, what would have been really nice was I wanted to have been like spotted and, and, and helped and shown the way rather than what I felt like I just had to make it up myself. So that was really a motivation, like can find people who haven't yet been shown the way and help them develop themselves. And so empowering people to believe in themselves and to follow their own dream is really how you get the best talent. And then of course, if you have the best talent, then you can have the best agency, but really it's about them. FKA Twigs was one of the artists that was represented by AMCK. We worked together for a long time. She was a dancer and really knew her mind straight away, had a vision for herself. And that was what was worked on Mm. before it was even like branching off into this music. She always had a vision of herself. And so, yeah, I've been really incredibly blessed to work with people on their way to becoming the best that they can be. I love that. And it almost sounds as though full circle moment, your coach who you said was really good at you finding the power from within you. You're not that person for your talent that you're looking after, Mm -hmm. albeit in a different Mm -hmm. way, but you're still nurturing someone to believe in themselves. And I think that must be such an empowering place to be. And I love that you've kind of touched on mental health and also a holistic approach to management, I guess it sounds like, that it's not just about book me jobs and get me a fee. It feels as though you really care about the individual that you're representing. And I'd love for you to talk about a little bit about how you go about navigating that relationship. How do you broach those conversations or, or support your talent with their mental well-being? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You know, you said it's a holistic approach and that's really what we have worked really hard to develop. It's about a 360 well-being of the person. Obviously, 2020 gave us all a massive awareness on what was important Mm. and how we needed to work with each other. And for us, we chose to cut back on the talent that we represented so that we could support even more just by the capacity of what we had and wanting to really have this holistic approach so that we could really truly fulfill our promise to the talent and to ourselves in the way that we wanted to work. 
And this had been something we'd been thinking about. In 2017, I created AMCK Fit, which is a service bringing mental health support via yoga, breathing, meditation, space, just giving people time and space Mm -hmm. to connect with themselves. And it was created specifically for the entertainment and creative and fashion industries. And so we had been thinking about this for a really long time and understanding we needed to offer this to both our talent, but also to be able to offer it to the wider industry so that when people go on set, they feel it's safe and okay for them to take a break if they're at a show or at a shoot, that there is somebody who is there to support who's there to maybe guide them through some breathing. And I think what 2020 did was just give the awareness to everyone and and understand like, wow, we all need to look after our mental health. This is absolutely integral. If you don't look after your people, how do you expect them to be able to produce and do all the great work that they need to do for you? I couldn't agree more. And I think that was the one thing that I really remember in all of my experiences in the arts industry was really lacking because everything is so about the performance and the look. It kind of doesn't matter what's underlying that. It's like you show up and you smile and you get through. And actually speaking to, I've still got a lot of friends in the industry and we were speaking actually not that long ago about how as a performer, you're often conditioned or, or taught to mask over anything that you're feeling underneath. You know, it was all about tits and teeth. So no matter what you're you're feeling you show up and you smile and you do a good job and I just think like what you said then about how do we get the best out of our performers how do we get the best out of and this doesn't just apply to the performance industry as you said this is any company to get the most out of people people need to feel supported and safe and your approach sounds like one that I really hope is rolled out across particularly the performance industry the arts Mm -hmm. But wider than that, because you're absolutely right. We seem to just prioritize the physical because it's easier for us to see and understand. But actually, the mental is the stuff that we really need to be caring about because it's the stuff that we don't see that's often the most worrying. I think this naturally lends itself to us moving to talk about your breath coach qualification. And really, I guess what I wanted to break down for people is what we know so far about how breath can really help our overall health. Yeah, there's a part of it that is instinctive. If you look at yourself, you will see that your breath is creating patterns that are reflective of how you're feeling. If you see when you're tense and you check in with your breath, it's most likely to be shorter and shallower. If you're going to look at where you can feel it in your body, you'll most likely be able to feel it up in your chest. You might get a tightness of your chest when you're anxious, all these little telltale signs. When you're really stressed and then all of a sudden you let out a sigh, you've let out the sigh because you've been holding your breath. People say, okay, just stop and take a deep breath. Because when you drop into your breath and take that deep breath, it is sending signals up to your brain to let your whole nervous system know, okay, it's okay, you're fine, you can relax. That's why taking a deep breath is like an instinctive thing that you should do. It seems like we've been ignoring our breath. We've been ignoring the fact that it's so absolutely crucial and important. 
part of what I would like my work to be now is just raising that awareness, giving people simple and easy tools to make life feel just a little bit better. Mm. And you stop and breathe for 10 minutes and you feel better. (laughs) So it's like, oh, okay. And the thing is, the thing I like about breath, movement, all of these things is that we live in a time where we're constantly being sold this kind of idea of wellness that it involves expensive items Mm -hmm. that we have to buy at the supermarket or the latest yoga mat that it's kind of an unachievable ideal and and it's all these external things that we need to kind of feed into this idea that we're practicing wellness but actually like for me what I break it down to is I don't need all these other bits my body is teaching me so much as it is so when I move I feel good when I breathe deeply I feel good I don't need to start bringing in all these other things that actually can really confuse stuff and one of the things that you actually taught me was about breath not just being about stillness that breath can be about energizing it can be about finding uh, concentration and that we can utilize our breath to explore lots of different ways of feeling and I wondered if you could talk about maybe some of the other techniques that that you use beyond just finding I guess a sense of stillness and calm yeah no absolutely any practice that I do I'm always starting with rubbing your hands together and when you rub your hands together you can feel the heat and that heat is energy Like, so from all of a sudden it being this abstract concept of energy in your body, just rubbing your hands together, creating that heat and knowing that that heat is energy and it's there and it's come from within you. So you can use your breath in the same way to focus. You can use your breath to transform from feeling in one state to another state. I'm just now working on my kind of full program but in the program there's 21 different breathing techniques and this is just simple hacks really that you can do to put you in each of these states and the simple way is if you're doing a long exhale you're breathing out and you're connecting with your parasympathetic nervous system and that nervous system does all the things that your body needs to do to get rest and regenerate your cells and recuperate and relax and all of that stuff. And when you are inhaling and when you're basically just putting your body in in a little bit of stress, you're putting it into the sympathetic nervous system. So it's like, okay, your body is ready to go. It's ready to run. It's ready to be focused. So you can do little breathing techniques, which essentially are kind of putting little stresses on your body, but in a good way. So I think sometimes everyone's like, yeah, but stress is just not good at all. No, there is times when when your body can do with that little bit of stress. And especially if you need to bring your energy up or to focus or you have a task to do or you're going to go and present or public speaking or anything like that, you want to have a little bit of that ready, set, go. No, and you can get all of those things from your different breathing patterns and techniques. Yeah. And I've definitely felt that. And I think it's something that I, yeah, like I said at the start, I'm, I'm fascinated by and I'm just learning to use to my advantage. I also love the connection between 
breath and movement, obviously as a personal trainer, it's something that I'm obsessed with. We know the two are inextricably linked, but I guess as a dancer as well, how have you found trying to create a better connection between breath and body? And how do you try and teach other people that? Because as a trainer, I almost have to coach people to breathe properly. The amount of times I've had someone in a session with me and I'm like, you're holding your breath, you're holding your breath, (laughs) breathe. (laughs) I'm a yoga teacher too. And I qualified in my yoga teacher training, then did a yin yoga teacher training, which is very slow and got me into this slowness of thinking. And then really it dropped right down into the distillation of, okay, well, actually, it's really just about the breath. So starting at that point and then putting little bits of movement back feels really enjoyable rather than doing the yoga and and coaching people to breathe as they're going through. It's like, okay, we'll just do the breath and now let's add a little bit of movement into it. Even when we do a simple and we just roll our head at the end of having done 10 minutes of breathing, you just do like a nice neck roll. As you're moving just your neck really slowly and you're exhaling and then you get to a bit and you're like, oh, it feels a bit crunchy there and you stop and you breathe into that. And your breath is releasing the tension in your muscles. And it's, and you, you, it's literally like you can feel it like, oh, okay. And then you carry on going and then you might get another little spot. You're like, oh, that feels a little bit something there. And stop and breathe. And you can feel with your exhale, literally your muscles and the tension releasing from your body. Yeah, I think back to so many situations in my life, particularly auditions where I'm speaking, even before podcasts, like I get nervous before I interview yeah. people. I'm, I'm really sort of like on edge and I can really rush my words. And even before I do anything like that, speaking en- engagements, whatever, I have to take a moment to check in with my breath. And I do the square breathing practice, which yes. I definitely, if you're listening, check out because that, that helps me. And suddenly I feel this level of calm that I just wasn't able to achieve before I knew about using my breath and I think particularly as we move into a time where we're entering back into real life there's going to be situations where people might feel people haven't been in the in the office for over a year so suddenly if you're doing stuff which feels stimulating I think this is the stuff that people need to know whether whether it's this stress this stressful year which has been incredibly stressful for everyone or not it's just I wish more people knew about it because I think it's it's one of my first ports of call for people who are having challenges, be that mentally or physically. I say, check back in with the breath. First and foremost, like, check back in with the breath. Absolutely. It's difficult to just straight off the bat, find some stillness when you are feeling chaos. And some people will be able to just get into their meditation or find that they can take a seat and settle themselves but if you use the square breathing box breath an extended exhale if you use one of those techniques and you're focusing on the breathing rather than just trying to still the stuff that's coming up in you then the focus is on the breath the breath is making the body do what you need it to do which is to calm down and then you find yourself in the stillness so it's like an outcome of it. That's the thing that feels so good because you can do an exercise with no expectation. But the fact of the matter is, once you've done it, 
you have put your body into that state. Now, how long you can get that to last for afterwards is the practice. That's the practice. That's why you practice it daily. Mm. Because like you said, you'll do those box breaths and then you feel better. Mm. So how long can you keep that calm, steady feeling until everything starts getting back all jangly and, and in chaos? So you practice that. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like the work isn't just about doing four breaths every morning and feeling better. It's about the repetitive practice and the consistency and commitment to using it to make you feel better. One of the questions I really wanted to ask you, and I'm sure there are people that you've already mentioned who might come up, but you've had such a successful career so far. And I'm sure there's so many other things as you've talked about to come. But I wondered if there was anyone that's really inspired you or helped you to get to where you are now. You know, you've talked about overcoming a lot of stuff that that's actually really challenging stuff as well. And I wondered if there was anyone that you could look at as being someone that's really helped you along the way. Wow. I think I've had lots of angels along the way. There are people who come into your life and maybe they also go from your life who have been pivotal in the moment that you've been in. Of course, my biggest angel and the voice in my ear constantly is my mum. And and I lost my mum 21 years ago this year. But yet her voice is one that is with me. And I look into myself to find her when things are difficult. But um, yeah, I have great friends. And I have people who have helped me through my career. It takes a village. It really does. My team is honestly just, they've just got me. And this past year has been like we've all had to really dig deep and I think that having my team around me to support me to be able to lead us all in the pivot because it really was a it really was a matter of survival it was Mm. survival I definitely want to say a huge thank you and acknowledge Catherine who is my right hand, she is also one of my best friends and she's like the backbone of where we're moving with AMCK. So shout out to Catherine Snook because <laughs> at the very beginning she was assisting me when I was choreographing and directing shows and she was like the brain that I would say something out and then she'd have it all written down and <laughs> then be able to direct the models or direct the people or know what we were doing. And she really just did support me. Also giving me back the strength to know that, that I could do this and that I could lead people in a different way. Yes, I am a successful businesswoman who has built an incredible empire really that's what it feels like and you know hope that people don't really realize that I'm just shitting myself (laughs) making it up as I go along and so part of the work now is like we can do everything we all just need to not feel ashamed in any way to ask for help when we need it to find strength in community and also understand that we really do have the magic inside of ourselves. Oh, what a perfect way to end that sentence. I love that. Goosebumps <laughs> there. I always finish every podcast with the same two questions. The first one is what does strength look like to you? What does strength look like to me? I'm going to say strength looks like 
softness, vulnerability, and freedom. I love that. Very good. Good three words. I think with those three as well, for me, the number one is the vulnerability. I think we often think strength is the opposite of that. And there's people who've referenced vulnerability in their perception of strength. And I think it's amazing just to see that because I completely agree with you. My final question, who in your life, and you might have talked about them already, I'm not sure, but who in your life demonstrates strength the most? Oh, that's a hard one. I know. Everyone says that at the end. That's a hard one. I'm going to say my son. My son, Iggy, he is strong. He's been through stuff. He has overcome things and he is growing into being an incredibly strong, talented man, young man, he likes to say, I'm a man now, <laughs> that, you know, I'm very proud of. And I'm proud of myself for being able to lead him into finding his own strength. So, yeah, goes out to Iggy. Proud mama. I love that. I love that. Well, Aisha, thank you so much. Like I said, I could probably sit and ask you a million and one questions, but hopefully we covered everything here. I just think that what you're doing is so inspiring. And like I said, I've been really enjoying your breath sessions myself and have got so much from them. And I think I'm really excited to see that side of your of your work grow. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Alice. It was so nice. you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i have a little request for you all if it's not too much to ask it really really helps if you rate review and subscribe to the podcast as it means that others can find it and hopefully gain from it too we have a new episode dropping every week so stay tuned and thanks for listening